Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. Thanks a bunch, Marina, for doing episode 21 of the Night Sky Podcast with me again today. Hey, 21. Thanks, Billy. I think it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so we got a couple of things to talk about. It's been a while since uh, we really discussed a lot of the different changes that have happened with the location of the planets along the ecliptic and, and where they are and what, what times are going to be up. So we could talk a little bit about that. It was cool in our last episode talking more in depth about the intricacies of Venus, I think specifically, and then a little bit of Mars too. But when I was looking out tonight, and to mention where they are, it's like, and in, in, you know, too, um, if you look out, if you're in the Northern hemisphere, you look out toward the West and then toward the Southwest up in the sky a little bit, maybe after, I guess, five o'clock or so, while it's still uh, in the winter timeline that we've got, you know, while the sun goes down around five o'clock, uh, as we look up into the Southwest, we'll see Venus really bright at the bottom and then really quite dim now as Mars up above it, uh, which is kind of interesting. So we talked mostly, or we talked about all those planets and, and what they're doing last week, which you can check out that podcast. Uh, but what was kind of interesting to me and what we were talking about earlier was how fascinating it is. And I guess what we should explain on the podcast is that when we look up at night and we see Venus and Mars and we see them really right next to each other, it's sort of a, a, a mind trip to get yourself around this idea that the earth would have to pass right in between those two celestial bodies. Isn't that interesting? It's weird to think about, right? It is. Yeah. It's a really interesting perspective to think of it from uh, when you're looking at it. Yeah. It kind of gives you a, or it gave, it gave me a kind of different view of where we're lined out, sort of. Isn't it interesting yeah, to, to get a feel for it in a sense when we look at the planet interior to the sun from us and the planet exterior from the sun. It's really interesting to think that, oh, wow, in that gap of space that we see physically right now, our earth actually has to pass in between and had even sometime earlier this year. Right. Like if this was a spaceship or something and we could hold our universal coordinates for a few minutes and a spaceship and a time machine. So we're asking for a lot right now. And if we were able to stay right here in the universe, you know, and watch the earth go backwards in time. If we were to run time backwards, we'd see the, the earth leave where we were in our position. We'd see open space around us, but we'd watch the earth pass right back through that location where we see Venus and Mars out in the solar system. It's really interesting thinking of the sky that way, or at least thinking of the location of the planets in a little bit more of a, of a 3d plane that exists spread out. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I always like things that help me have a better, um, like a better three dimensional perspective of where I am while I'm looking at, yeah. at things in the sky. Oh yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's really you, interesting to get that when you see it more. It definitely is. Yeah. Because, and that's a strange thing to see for, for so much of human history, people had looked at all of these objects with at least some under, or a basic understanding that it was a geocentric system that the earth was in the center for the longest time. They were trying to figure all these weird different maps that God used to keep a pattern of stars, which weren't understood to be any type of physical mass existing, you know, separate from the earth, but it was just points of light out in space, but it was, it was thought to be this roller that God had. And there were the, the stars that would roll by. And then interior from that, there were these cycles of planets that would roll by. Such a weird kind of idea. It was like, it was just the silliest thing. Uh, but it was yeah, totally off base from the more concrete understanding that we started to get, I guess about a thousand years ago. 
Is that what it would be? I think Copernicus is about 1100 or so. And so that's where we start to get that heliocentric model of the universe. Whereas before that, we had all sorts of, I think, things called epicycles. Had you heard of that before? I have heard of that before. You'll have to explain to me what it means again, but I recognize it. It's pretty confusing. Uh, that actually is the thing to remember about epicycles, is that it was the scientific theory that was being built on and built on and built on, but it was hardly scientific or at least it was scientific with the information that they had at the time, but it was the system uh, built to keep the wrong idea in place, but to change that wrong idea so that it fit the things that we were seeing better. But it just made it exponentially more complicated. The yeah. idea is that there is, that the earth is in the center and that there is a Mars out there that maybe is going around the planet earth. But at sometimes and in ways that maybe we don't totally understand that big cycle that it does around the earth will start to do a tiny cycle around itself that's where we get retrograde motion oh interesting that's interesting that that's what they thought it was yeah it, with the retrograde it, or was, that that's it was all sorts of weird things it was that they all had complicated independent movements where they would stop and then physically start to spin around themselves or that there <laughs> or that there were there were other forces or things that would that would cause them the other, I don't know, it was just, it was. That must have seemed so confusing. Yeah. And so every time it didn't work, because we actually go around the sun, they would add this other element to the epicycle theory that said, oh, no, 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 this is why we're, we're geocentric. This is why it actually works is because Mars is just doing a little loop in the sky. <laughs> That's why it's happening. Or because yeah, Saturn's doing a little loop because it has that retrograde loop too that it goes through. Uh, so everything had had something, or Mercury is just on some some weird little spinny thing out there as it goes around the Earth, and that's why we see it kind of go up and down closer to the Sun independently of the Sun. Very strange type of thinking, but all that got more and more clear over the years, and it probably was I don't know maybe we're at like the five hundred years of human history where it's actually been more. Uh, conceptually understood of this this heliocentric model of the universe where we can have those conceptual breakthroughs like what we were talking about tonight when we look up into a clear winter sky we look out at venus the interior planet mars the exterior planet and have that conceptual realization that oh the earth as the third rock from the sun would have had to have passed in between those two planets at least on some path so whatever that gap of distance is it actually represents real three-dimensional space across the ecliptic, across our solar system, where the Earth's orbit and all of our humanity has existed for thousands of years, just in that past, somewhere in that line. The planet Earth and all one billion to seven billion people over the years have, have passed right in between that line. All 24 of your birthdays have taken place somewhere in space in between those two planets. It's really interesting to see it like that. <laughs> yeah, really fascinating. Uh, but pretty fun. It was cool. I, uh, I dug uh, kind of thinking about that sort of stuff with you. I always yeah, think that's really cool. neat. It's nice having a clear view of it too. Yeah, it was really nice. And, and it's really nice right now for as difficult as it is in Oregon in the winter, like we complained about last year, to get a lot of good observation nights in for sky watching. It's pretty difficult. Like I hear that the other guy in one of those other uh, Sky and Telescope podcasts, and he talks about like, oh yeah, the winter's great because it's darker longer. So you get more hours of night sky. I think, huh, it must be in like Arizona or California mm -hmm. or somewhere somewhere that uh, doesn't have to deal with the same kind of perpetual fog. 
that we have to deal with or this uh, this kind of endless st- cloud cover yeah, sticky rainy cloud cover that we have all the time so that's what that's what northern oregon is like <laughs> this time of year yeah J- late january february that's when oregon really shines <laughs> it's been uh nice these last few days though having a nice clear view oh it has been that's really been cool. nice we've had uh some cool morning views too of uh jupiter See, that's, yeah, that's the other thing too, is right, what we had been focused on and uh, so far is, is those evening planets that we can see and some of the evening constellations that we see coming up. And that's all really interesting because there's a few things coming, coming our way. But what's interesting, like you're saying, is, yeah, with those clear mornings going out to the south-facing window, we look up, you can spot the moon, you can spot Jupiter, like you're saying, you spot a few of the summer constellations that we were used to a few months ago. And it's kind of interesting seeing where a few of those things have changed and seeing what's changed in relation to everything else. Like last year, when we looked up at Jupiter, that was in the constellation Leo, right well, around about in the constellation Leo, kind of at that tail end of it. And I remember watching that with you like last spring and last summer, like when we were looking at Jupiter's moons. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. And so the constellation Leo really isn't too far from where we're looking at it now in the constellation of Virgo. And, uh, and right now, Jupiter is right up next to the star Spica, the brightest star in the constellation of Virgo. And I think Virgo is the, the zodiac constellation for the month of September. Before that's the month of August. The zodiac constellation for the month of August is the constellation Leo. And that's where we saw it last year, right. which is really interesting. And then it's kind of furthermore interesting to consider that with Jupiter, like when we go out and we look at it in the morning sky. Now, a year later, it's back to Virgo. Maybe next year, as we think, it would be another constellation over, closer toward Libra, and then furthermore, toward the east, along the ecliptic, into the constellation Scorpio. Interesting to think how it kind of progresses like that through the year. That is interesting how it moves down like that, or how it moves through the constellations. Yeah, and it's kind of that it's pace. interesting that it moves down. That's the same type of prograde motion that we see with with Mars right now or with other planets right now, but we see it at different speeds. And it's interesting that it goes because like, I think with Mars is 500 or 400 or something ish day year, it's going to go around a lot faster. Whereas like with Jupiter, that next planet out there's Mars, the asteroid belt, and then Jupiter so much further away. We go from a 500 day year of our planet of Mars to a 12 year year for the planet Jupiter as we get that much further out. Isn't that fascinating? So strange. So long. Yeah, really long. Uh, But so that's another interesting thing. And what I wanted to tie it in with some of the stuff that you were looking up about the upcoming Chinese New Year. A lot of people celebrate that. Have you celebrated that before? Yeah, my my mom used to celebrate it with us. What is the kind, I I never really celebrated it. What is the, the type of Americanized small celebrations you guys would do uh we would try to do some foods that were kind of vaguely specific okay um it really wasn't too significant of a celebration really well i was just trying to 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 cue in a little bit more on uh like what it is that they do for it yeah so so there's books and such i know that there's a couple colors that are i think it's like gold and and red if i had understood right uh which is part of it and uh the reason that the new year is occurring now at the end of January, whereas last year it occurred almost at the end of February. It seems like it's not the same day, right? And we talked about it, I think, last year. 
when we'd gotten into calendar stuff a little bit. This year we'll focus pretty tightly in on just the uh, the Chinese New Year holiday, but it's it's the new moon coming up this weekend. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think we had just seen a crescent of it this morning when we looked out over the western horizon. So that means really only a day or two until it's in that position of being a new moon. And when we come about to the new moon, that's the day of the lunar new year and the Chinese new year. And that's why we have the Chinese new year coming up on this day. And that's why that date moves around. Right, so, yeah. I think it's uh, between January 21st and February 20th. Yeah, that interesting. That is when the date falls. And I figure that's, uh, I mean, that's like, that's about a month or so. Yeah. You know, and so it's interesting that the that there's going to be a full moon within that period. And that's the one that it's going to fall on. But it's kind of perplexing, like how they selected that in China. And I know all that goes way back. If you're interested in that, I get into more detail. Marine and I both do on, I think it's like episode four of the Night Sky. Maybe it's episode six or seven or something. But it was at the Chinese New Year. It's titled the Chinese New Year. You can go back in our archives at nightsky.io and check that episode out. Um, but on this one, the Chinese New Year coming up, we got the new moon. It's a new year for it. They run on a, a lunar new year or a lunar solar year. Was that yeah, right? a, luna, a lunar solar lunar calendar. solar calendar year. I think so. Interesting how that goes and how that tries to to match the, the 12 new moon periods that we have through a 365 day year. It tries to match those numbers up. I think it's like 350 days to a 365 day year. Sort of, there's a little bit of a mismatch. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, within I think that 28 days by... versus the 31 days we count as our month mm -hmm. uh, that we break up our 365 plus a leap year day. Uh, year into so it's it's a little bit shorter which is why we see the lunar new year holiday move around a little bit but why we see it stay in this winter season because it's still attached to that solar year at least in some way and that's why it's a lunar solar year and i think like if we were to think of the other alternative option to that do you remember that one the the uh what's the holiday the islam hol holiday the muslim holidays that happen i think that those like the jewish calendar i think is a lunar calendar and i think the muslim calendar is a muslim calendar so like yom kippur i, I think, think that i think that a lot of them are lunisolar calendars a lot of them are but there's a there's a there's one that moves its day and that's the one that i'm talking about is I right. think, uh, well i'm not sure do you know something or do you know what it is no, you, no. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So there's a there's a lot of or there's a few of them that are lunar calendars, and that's where things got into issues because the year would actually lap itself over time because there's like a 15 day discrepancy that uh, that there'd be issues. So that's why some of those holidays actually float through the entire year, and that's how they keep track of it is through this lunar calendar year. That's when they know that their holiday is going to happen. It's interesting. So stick back on to China and the Chinese New Year. That's the Luna Solar New Year that's happening this weekend. What date is that? The 28th. The 28th. Saturday, Saturday the 28th. Uh, so we got the New Year for China coming up. And I'm sure that's like a big celebration over there. But Yeah, I think they call it um, like the Spring Festival. I think that that's what it's called. Oh, over yeah. There. A Spring Festival. That's cool. I guess it must be a couple more weeks. Um but the thing that I wanted to get into about this, and this is the part that I had not known even last year when we had talked about the Chinese New Year, was a little bit about the Chinese zodiac. And so you understand this part, like where, where we're going with this, you know, like the, the, when you go to the Chinese restaurant, you get the zodiac on your, uh, on your 
placemat? Yeah, they have those yeah, mats that? with all the ears. Yeah, what yeah. are a few of them? Like rat, dog, monkey. Yeah, I'm the monkey. You're the monkey? I think you're the dragon. The dragon. There's the rabbit. There's an ox. There are a lot of animals. I think there's a snake. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think, I think zodiac is a Greek word, but strangely it means circle of animals, but really only a few of the Western zodiac symbols are animals. Perplexing, right? Like Aries. No, that's a that's a ram. I think Scorpio's. You know, like I don't know. There's a centaur, or the the Sagittarius, and the whatever. A Capricorn's a man. Aquarius, I think, was a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, kind of interesting. So it's different. But in the Chinese system, the zodiac is all animals. Like when we go through, it's it's all twelve of those animals. Right. Now, this is the thing that I'd never really been able to put in place before because the American or the the modern Western system. <laughs> for astrology doesn't really, you know, whatever that counts for, but it lists our zodiac sign as being something specific to the month that we were born in. So there's always been this discrepancy, probably like similar to what you had thought about. How is it that the Chinese new year has a zodiac symbol that lasts for a person for a whole year? It lasts for the entire year period. And everyone born in that year is under that symbol. What does that mean? What's that connected to? It's really strange. I'd wanted this for a long time. And it turns out, as you, we kind of brought up a second ago, that it's associated with Jupiter. Isn't that fascinating? That is interesting. How does that tie in? Yeah. So like we were talking about a little bit ago, right now, Jupiter is up next to the star Spica in the constellation Virgo. Last year, it was in Leo. Right. One so constellation it's, back. Is it in its 12, 12 year cycle? Yeah, so it's a 12-year cycle that Jupiter has. It's an 11.86-year cycle that Jupiter has to get around the solar system, back to the same position in the stars that we would see it at night. And so this has been an interesting marker, and it was used in China to set up this Chinese zodiac system. And it was a simple way of counting by 12 backwards and making sure that your years worked correctly or your calendar years were accurate. So you could count the location of Jupiter and mark that against the year. And you could verify hundreds and hundreds of years into the future if that date is correct. Does that make Um, a little bit of sense? I think so. Yeah, like you wouldn't get it as wrong because you could match that. You could sync that up with the location of Jupiter. Right. And you're tracking that, in a sense, culturally with your zodiac system and then probably... uh, scientifically i'll say in quotes for ancient chinese but you know to whatever that system of gaining more knowledge was about the solar system and about the movement of the planets it's interesting that they were able to identify that 12 year cycle for jupiter to get around and then that moving in prograde motion backwards through the constellation of zodiac symbols that are in the sky and so like last year it was in leo this year it's in virgo that's one step so that's what we have those 12 zodiac constellations Jupiter takes one year to move between each zodiac constellation. That means that the count is for Jupiter, one zodiac constellation per year. So when we talk about the Chinese zodiac, what we're noticing is that like if I'm the year of the dragon or you're the year of the, what was it? Monkey. The monkey. If you're the year of the monkey, the next time we're in the year of the monkey, that means Jupiter is in the same place in the sky as it was the day that you were born or the year that you were born. That's really cool. I had no idea that Jupiter was uh, what connected it. 
yeah, I had no idea either. And, and really much of the, much of the information that I uh, had looked up before had really never been, been explicit or clear about that topic. And it would have been so easy to explain. I think it's really truly because no one knows about that fact. No one knows about that correlation or that association that it's really just attached to Jupiter. That's really fascinating. That's cool to hear about. Yeah. I think that I'm not totally sure on the, on the cultural understandings of Jupiter, but I think that it was understood to be a symbol of good luck. It was uh, like jovial. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder why. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure either. I know it was seen as steady and it was seen as like a, a, a you know, a steady marker or it's, it's persona was steady. Same as Saturn was seen as steady. I think Saturn was a symbol of wisdom a lot of the time. However, Jupiter was a symbol of power and steadiness in whatever ways those are different than wisdom. Wisdom was the long cycle, the 27, 28 year cycle of Saturn. However, Jupiter, a long cycle still was establishment and leadership and uh, jovial activity. You know, and jovial is interesting because the, the word jovial is pretty close to jovian, which is the name for things that are Jupiter. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, jovian class planets are ones that are like Jupiter. And so it seems that there is some kind of common root there, I think probably in Latin too, for meaning jovial or positive attitude or uh, I don't know, however that connection comes about, but it's kind of interesting that it's there. And I think it's sort of similar in how it was in Chinese culture, but it was a sign of good luck. That's why it was, it was brought up as a, as a good fortune symbol. And that's why it's being tracked. You're the, the year of the monkey because Jupiter was there and that's good luck that that's your symbol right. the year you were born. Good luck for your life. This I think kind of the the intention. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the center of the holiday or like yeah. good fortune. Yeah, yeah. So that's the idea of it, I think. Uh, and it's really fascinating to kind of track back and see, I guess, what that's like in the past years or or you know how that worked in a few different ways. Now understanding I guess a little bit of what it's actually attached to. It's kind of cool. So like or looking out and seeing, oh, okay, so I'm the year of this. That means Jupiter was in this constellation the year I was born. That's cool. Interesting. Or you kind of see that cycle come back around. So it's kind of curious how that is. But uh, but yeah, I thought it was uh, it was kind of an interesting little factoid to get into. That's yeah, I mean. that's really cool to learn about. Yeah, I'm really glad that we uh, we started talking about that a little bit. It was cool. It's cool learning about those more esoteric, cultural, culturally significant attachments to the stars Definitely. and to the planets that are there. Even for things like this, like the Chinese New Year's, it's coming up. Uh, it's kind of, it's cool. It's cool to examine it and to kind of have a better understanding of what that meant to the people that were talking about it outside of the silly astrological way, astrology, you know, that like the goofy belief system attached to it as like a separate thing outside of the more cultural understandings of how things work. Similar, I think kind of like what we're reading in that book of, of archaeoastronomy, getting past that part and kind of diving in more to the truth the root of the truth. Do you remember that that uh, line in Indiana Jones? Archaeology is the search for truth, not fact. I think I do. Yeah. But it's kind of similar to that too. It's how do we identify a cultural truth that was representative to those people in a way that makes sense instead of disqualifying the understandings that right. they had. I think that's really fascinating. But yeah, it's cool. It's cool talking about Chinese New Year with you. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's coming up in uh, just a few days. Yeah. 
I think it'll be pretty neat. But yeah, thanks a lot for chatting about some different things going on in the night sky. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks for doing another episode. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I think that the last thing I would have to say is, yeah, go check out nightsky.io, our website. We're working on that. You can check out uh, the Night Sky Podcast. I think it's at Night Sky Podcast on Instagram. Go ahead and subscribe to the Night Sky Podcast on iTunes. You can go ahead and search for it in the search bar or in your podcast app on your phone, and you can find it, save it, get some fresh episodes of our podcast whenever they come out. It'd be kind of cool. Uh, if you are interested in sending us an email or a comment, it'd be great to hear from uh, from anybody that's still able to listen to this podcast uh, or any other observations that uh, people out there have been able to make from some things that we talked about. That'd be cool to hear about too. But yeah, on behalf of Marina Hansen, my name is Billy Newman, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast.